Good morning, church. My name is Marvelous Bukhari, and this is my younger brother, Melchizedek Bukhari. He and I are covenant partners here at FBC. We both are enrolled in San Antonio Academy. I'm in seventh grade, and he's in second grade. Today, we continue to look at God's faithfulness to Abraham and Abraham's response to God's provisions. Our scripture's passage comes from Genesis chapter 14, verse 17 to 24. Here we will see Abraham's interaction with two very different kings and how God continues to be at work in his life. I invite you to follow along in our own Bible or look up at the screens as we listen to God's word today. Hear the word of our Lord. After his return from the defeat of Shalomer, the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shechem, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemy, your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said, Possess said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sand or strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anna, Eskel, and Mary take their share. Now please join me in the call and response printed on the screens. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the fields. The grass, the grass withers, withers, the flower fades, and the word, the of, word our of our God endures, endures forever. forever. Amen. Yes, you can give him a round of applause. Woo! Yes, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> How, I mean, you, when can you have a boy named Melchizedek read scripture about Melchizedek, right? <laughs> Only at First Press, San Antonio. Thank you, Marvelous and Melky, for reading that text for us. It was a tough text, and you guys did beautifully. Um, so, good morning. How's everybody today? We made it to February. The, Jan the year of January is over, finally, and we are into the rest of the year. I'm so grateful. January is a hard month to get through, but we made it. And so here we are today. My name is Becky. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Grateful to be with you, blessed on this beautiful day to look deep at uh, this passage in Genesis. This year so far, we've been looking at God's faithfulness, and particularly God's faithfulness through Abram through Abraham and Sarah, the father of our faith, and how God has promised great things, not only for Abraham, but for us as his people. So I want you to keep your Bibles open if you have them or on your electronic devices. We're gonna be digging into Genesis 14. This passage is a unique passage. It's coming after a lot of narrative about Abraham and Lot and Sarah and all the different stories that we're hearing about Abraham, and we're confronted with a king with a very interesting name, Melchizedek. I don't know how you live up to the name, right? Do people not know how to pronounce your name sometimes? 
They're like, yeah, yeah. They're just like, I don't know, Melky. We'll, we'll go with Melky. So if you hear me refer to Melchizedek as Melky today in our scripture, you know who I'm talking about, right? It's, it's the, the king that we're going to talk about. So but as we prepare to dive into scripture today, let us prepare our hearts with a word of prayer. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as we've studied Abram, if you've been in uh, the services the last couple of weeks or listened online, you've seen that Abram has some ups and downs in his life, as we all do. As human people, Abram is just like us in that he is broken and sinful. There are moments where he makes really good choices, and there are some times where he makes some pretty awful choices. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Abram sort of pretended like his wife Sarai was his sister so that he wouldn't die in Egypt as a whole thing, not someone we want to emulate. However, today we see a different side of Abram and we see some faithfulness that Abram um, shows towards God. The consistent thing though, in the midst of Abram's ups and downs is God's faithfulness. We worship a God who is not a God of chaos and change and ups and downs. We worship a God who is faithful and steady and true. He is a God of order, and he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so despite all of the human mess that Abram brings to the table, God's promises are true throughout. He made a promise and a covenant with Abram, and he's faithful to his promise, just as God is faithful to his promises to us today. So when we read scripture from the Old Testament, it is, it is alive for us today. It is not just something that happened thousands of years ago. It is not just an archaic story that we think is cool. It truly matters to the way that we view God and the way that we experience God's love and promises for us. So where we pick up today, Abram has just finished saving the rear end of his nephew, Lot. If you'll remember, Abram and Lot had to split up. Lot took the valley of the, Jor the Jordan Valley, which was green and lush. He went to Sodom and Gomorrah, which is like the sin cities. Like, ain't nobody wanting to live in Sodom and Gomorrah because it's not a, not a healthy place to live. And Abram went to Canaan, which is the land that God had promised. And they had too many possessions. And so they had to split up. Well, turns out that Lot got captured. There was, in the midst of all this, there were kings in the area of Sodom and surrounding that Jordan Valley. And four, there was an alliance of four kings that went into battle with an alliance of five kings and it turned ugly. And the five kings won and took everything from Sodom, including Lot and all of his possessions. So like, oops, ooh, not a good place for Lot to be. But once Abram, his uncle heard of this, Abram went and trusted God and went into battle and rescued Lot and all of the possessions, defeated the evil kings. And so we pick up right here after that defeat. Abram has just rescued Lot from the hands of these evil kings. It's really exciting. It's actually really cool to, to look at these stories in scripture. So our text illustrates after Abram has gone into battle and saved Lot and captured all the things that have been taken, he encounters two different kings within the same text. So what Melky read today is from Abraham 14 or from Genesis 14 starting in verse 17. 
We're gonna look at who those two kings are and Abram's different encounters with both of them and the way that he responds to what they offer. So let's take a look at King of Salem. It's the, in verse 18, we look that Melchizedek is the name of the King of Salem. It's one of those names that just rolls off the tongue like we saw today. It's just so easy to say and pronounce and we'd love to hear about Melchizedek. You may recognize the name because Melchizedek is, is mentioned two other times in scripture, in Psalms and in Hebrews. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the king of Salem is the king of righteousness. Melchizedek is truly a king of peace. Salem is from the root word shalom, which means peace. Salem is the end of the word Jerusalem, the city of God, the holy city of God. So Melchizedek is this king of peace and righteousness. We've been hearing before this passage in verse, in chapter 13 and 14 about these evil kings that are battling against each other, the king of Sodom, the king of um, Gomorrah, all these different kings. And here we see a different kind of king. Melchizedek was mentioned in, in this passage, but also in Hebrews, we see that Melchizedek is a foreshadowing of the true king, Jesus Christ our Lord. And there's a great um, passage in Hebrews 7 where they refer back to Genesis 14, the one we're studying today. The whole Bible is connected. I know we remind ourselves of that sometimes because we forget Old Testament, New Testament, New Covenant, Jesus, let's just focus on the good stuff. But if we don't study Genesis 14, then we won't know what the author of Hebrews is referring to later on when he talks about Abram and Melchizedek. This is important for us to understand the goodness of God throughout the entire story of God's love for his people, the entire Bible. The other place that Melchizedek is mentioned is in Psalm 110. Melchizedek is linked to the Lord's anointed who will rule in Zion. Again, a picture of Jesus to come, a picture of the true king who will rule in the future. So Melchizedek is this very unique character in our Bibles. The Bible being all connected is really helpful for us to see how he's illustrated throughout this time, but we still don't have a lot of information about who Melchizedek is. He's a bit of a mystery. Here in verse 18, it says that Melchizedek was priest of the God Most High. So keep in mind, we're pretty early on in Genesis here. The order of the priesthood has not yet been established under the Mosaic Covenant, There have not been priests yet. There's no Levitical priest that we see later on in Scripture. It's the first time in Scripture that the word priest is mentioned. And this official priesthood hasn't happened. So this this should stand out to us. Oh, wow, interesting. This guy is a priest of the God Most High. Another unique aspect of Melchizedek is not only that he's mentioned to be a priest, but he has no genealogy. Before he's introduced, we don't hear that he comes from this person who beget that person and that person and that person to end up with Melchizedek. We have no idea where he comes from. And if you know anything about Genesis, as we've seen over the last several weeks, Genesis is full of genealogies. In fact, if you decided to read through the Bible in the new year, you may be slogging through some of these genealogies wondering, what are all these names and how do they all connect? So it's very important to note that Melchizedek is not introduced with a list of genealogy. He doesn't come from anyone. He doesn't, he's not known because of his family. He's not mighty and superior because of who he's born to. But Abram is, and we know that about Abram, so there's this difference between the two of them already. 
Listen to how the author of Hebrews describes Melchizedek in Hebrews 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the God Most High, same words we just read in Genesis 14, he is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither, neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. So he's this character that sort of appears out of nowhere, has no beginning and no end. Again, sort of representing the king that we truly worship forever, God, and his son, Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of questions about who Melchizedek is, what he truly represents, and you can read a lot of books about all the different opinions about that. But for our purposes today, what we're really focusing on is that he comes by God in a very important moment for Abram. And he encounters Abram at a time where we've seen those ups and downs of Abram, some bad choices, some good ones, and Abram is blessed by this king. So let's keep reading. This priest of the Most High God, this king of peace and righteousness, comes out of nowhere, and he encounters Abram. So in verses 18 through 20, he brought out wine and bread, and he blessed Abram, and he said this, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So Melchizedek here gives this great blessing to Abram. Again, coming out of nowhere, this king of peace, and he not only blesses Abram, but he also makes sure to bless God. Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He's giving thanks to God for delivering Abram out of that fight that he had to get Lot to save Lot and bring him back. God was the one who did the work through Abram. And so Melchizedek is blessing both Abram and God. And notice, he brings out bread and wine. What a perfect passage for us to study today as we prepare our hearts to come to the table to receive the gift of God's grace through the holy table of communion. Every month at FPC, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it's not only an opportunity to remember what Christ has done for us, the ultimate victory. We're celebrating a victory that Abram has here, but we get to experience the ultimate victory through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. We remember that, but we celebrate it together. Bread represents this sustenance, this nourishment that we need as humans to continue on in our life. And Melchizedek offers bread to Abram. Wine represents celebration, communion together, having a time of celebration, not only for what's happening in their midst, but for what God is doing through them. So when we come to this table, we too do it together we commune together. We don't do this alone. But we commune together, just like Abram and Melchizedek do here. And again, this is way before Jesus. This is way before Jesus sat at table with his disciples, blessed bread, broke it, and gave it to them. This is years, thousands of years before Jesus even walked this earth. So God is painting a picture for us, putting in our hearts and our minds, again, this connection. God is bigger than just the moment that we're living in today. So he brings this bread and this cup, these elements to bless and give thanks to God, to give glory to God in the midst of all that's happened with Abram and his life up to this point. And let's see, in response to this blessing, 
Abram does something significant. Abram gives Melchizedek 10% of everything that he has. And at this point, we know that he has quite a bit. He's just won this battle, which means that there's a lot. He already owns a lot, but we're going to see in a second about what he may have gained through this battle. Keeping in mind that you you and I know that tithing, as we know it, really wasn't established until much later. Tithing came about during the Mosaic Law, the sort of the, the call to give 10% to God of what we have out of response for God's love and grace to us, out of gratitude for that, knowing that everything that we have is God. So again, this is happening before that true tithing was established. Abram, out of this overflow of thanksgiving from his heart, gives a blessing to Melchizedek, 10% of what he owns. It's significant also because it shows that Melchizedek is superior to Abram. Abram's the father of the faith. Abram's the one that God made the covenant with. Abram is the important one that we have put a lot of hope into, right? But yet he is inferior to this great high priest, this king. It's a response of gratitude that he gives of this money. Again, it's not a law yet. It's not something that he has to do. He does it out of his overflowing gratitude to what God has done and the blessing that Melchi has given to him. He's giving, he's trusting that God is going to provide. Abram doesn't know what's going to be next. Remember, he left his family and he's on this journey, trusting God with each next step. And he's trusting that even if he's going to give some of his, his stuff, his money to this king, that God will continue to provide even if he hits a road where there's nothing left that God will continue to provide. So let's now turn to the next encounter. Okay, so we see King of Salem, righteousness, peace, blessing, celebration at the table, just this wonderful response to God's goodness, this glorifying moment. And then we see this other king, the King of Sodom. It's a very different encounter. Now, the King of Sodom, again, as we remember, Sodom and Gomorrah, sin cities, not a great place to be, filled with corruption and evil. They're described in Genesis 13 as a place where the men are wicked and great sinners are against the Lord. So not a great place. And we can imagine that the king is probably not great either if he's gonna be king over this land. And also don't forget that he's just been in battle and he's lost, everything was plundered from his from the, the area of Sodom, including Lot and all of his stuff. So he's kind of embarrassed probably, he has nothing left and he's probably not a great guy. So let's see what he says to Abram. Verses 21 through 24, he says, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Okay, so some context here. In this time, it would have been very common and totally customary for the losing king, the one that was defeated, in this case, king of Sodom, to come to the the victor, the, the one who won, and say, okay, here it all is. You win. This is all yours. So it's not that the king of Sodom is being like super generous or very, very nice or warm and fuzzy towards Abram. He's not like 
wanting to give away this stuff. It was just kind of the rules of warfare at the time. And so he's like giving, he's offering, he's like, okay, take what's yours, you want it, here are your possessions, which again, probably was rich a lot. Again, these cities were sort of lush in the Valley of Jordan, in the Jordan Valley. But we see Abram's immediate response. Abram definitively says that he has sworn to God that he will not take anything from the king of Sodom. Here he's just given to the king of Salem 10% of what he has, and yet he encounters this evil king and he goes, nope, I am not going to take what you're offering me. I have been blessed by God. I am a possessor of heaven and earth, which is far greater than what you're offering me here. I am a possessor of eternity because of God my father. He has blessed me, so I don't need what you're offering me. He was definitive and immediate in his, in his response. He didn't waver. I mean, he could have looked it up and down and gone, well, it's kind of, kind of some nice stuff here. I might want to consider taking a few things. He didn't hesitate to refuse the spoils of Sodom. If he'd thought this, it was like, like he thought this through ahead of time. He'd made his commitment to God. He'd been blessed by Melchizedek, blessed by God. God had promised Abraham so much, and he was showing his trust and faithfulness in God by refusing the spoils of war and by relying on God and his blessings, knowing that his victory was not by his own power. His victory was not because of anything that he could do, so he doesn't need what is offered in the human world. God, God will give Abram his reward. He doesn't need the reward of war. He isn't even tempted to say yes. I think if it were me, I'd be like, well, I mean, I did win. And I obviously worked hard for this. And, you know, it was kind of a hard battle. So I might as well take some of these things, right? Like our selfish human nature is like, and what if there's not more later? And maybe I should hoard it in, you know, and keep it forever in case I run out of something X, Y, Z later on. It'll make me more important. It'll make me more, you know, confident. I will have better status in the world if I just keep taking more. I would have doubted that God would provide. That is me every week doubting that God will provide. Abram here trusted God, remained faithful to him, and trusted in his provision instead of relying on this human king. As we've seen in previous chapters, Abram has not always been quite this faithful. It's easy to sort of celebrate Abram, and what we could take from this passage is, way to go, Abram, let's be more like him. But we also know that Abram's a fallen human that has made some really bad, bad choices, Abram remains steadfast here. He saw Lot make a choice to go to the green valley of the sin cities and live in a way that was of this world. And it didn't really work out well for Lot, did it? He got captured. And Abram is saying, I'm not going to make that choice. I'm going to make a different choice. I am going to follow God rather than following the desires of my flesh because of all of this that I could take. And he says, no, I'm not going to take this. I don't want a thread from you. I don't want you to claim that you made me rich. I don't want you to claim that all my blessings are from the king of Sodom because my blessings are from God. We can be proud of Abram for this, but instead of worshiping Abram and celebrating him, what we worship and celebrate is God. And again, his faithful steadfastness through all of this time with people that he's interacting with. His promises made true again and again. The reminders in the moment that Abram needed that reminder from God, he was blessed by the king of Salem, Melchizedek. 
in the moment when Abram needed to say no to the king of Sodom to not receive all the spoils of war, he gave Abram the strength to say, no, I take nothing from you because I possess heaven and earth. I possess so much more than what you're offering me here. It's really hard to stay faithful to God's promises. It is very easy to be distracted and tempted by the world around us. It's glitzy, it's gleaming. It makes us feel good to be important and to have more and to be celebrated by human people. Abram's temptation is real, but yet he knows that what God is offering him is far greater than anything else on this earth. Before, more than celebrating, what he did in war, the winning that he had, he celebrated that God was victorious through him. He gave credit and glory to God for walking him through it. So we see this dichotomy of the two kings, this king of righteousness and blessing, this king of peace that gives and celebrates and worships with Abram, and then this king of Sodom who is offering what the world has to offer and Abram responds to them differently, giving and refusing, offering you know, more than he has to give and then refusing, taking everything else. So what does this mean for us? What does this have to do with us today? It's really helpful to dig deep into these scriptures, not only so that we're edified through our knowledge and our brains, but also so that our hearts might be transformed through these words. We know that as we read these words, the Spirit is working in our hearts. And so what does this mean for us today? This was thousands of years ago, right? And it doesn't feel like it impacts our day-to-day lives, but let's think about this for a minute. We all face battles in our lives, just like Abram does. They may be a little different, right? They may not be on a battlefield trying to save a nephew from the hands of the evil kings, but maybe you have a nephew who's trapped in darkness and you need God to reach out and save him from that darkness. Or maybe you are struggling day in and day out to wake up and go to work and be faithful to God in the midst of your your call of, of whatever work that you do because of your surroundings and the need to succeed and the status and whatever you have. Maybe the battle that you're fighting is a health battle or you have a friend or a family member who's just broken and you just think, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to walk through this. God is going to work through those moments. God is faithful to you and to me and to all just like he was to Abram. Where is it in our own lives that we need to trust God more? Where is it in our own lives where we need to let go of the possessions and the glitz and the glam of the world and the distractions around us and trust that God will provide? This is a perfect stewardship sermon, even though we're not in stewardship season, because we talk a lot about out of the, out of the love and the overflowing of God's love and grace for us, we respond by giving back to him, opening our hands and saying, thank you, God, for the ways that you've blessed me. We give, as Joe said, we worship with our tithes and offerings by giving because all that we have been given is God's. Maybe today, as you ruminate on these words, as you think about Abram, maybe you start to let go of what you've been clinging to in your lives. Maybe it's your control, your health, your money, your status, whatever it may be. But most importantly today, what we take home from this is that Jesus is the true king. 
We see all of these other kings, but Melchizedek helps to point us to the one true king. We are blessed because we know who Jesus is. If you're sitting in here today and you've, you don't know Jesus personally, we want to walk with you to answer any questions you have, to talk to you about the true possession of heaven and earth because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. That is what we possess as followers of Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus' calling out to us, when we respond to God's love for us, we are filled with the Holy Spirit that encourages us and walks with us and transforms us so that when we face those temptations, we can turn and face the true hope and light in our lives. May we recognize more fully the face of Jesus in the midst of our trials. May we give thanks to God our Father because of Jesus Christ, that he is the ultimate source of our blessings and that Christ intercedes on our behalf so that when we make those poor choices, when we sin against God, we're forgiven and we're free. As we marinate on this scripture, we have the opportunity to come to the table together today. As, an, as, as I said, the bread represents the sustenance. But more importantly, when Jesus sat at table with his disciples, he said that this bread is my body that's broken for you. Jesus literally died on the cross. He gave up his spot in heaven with God our Father to humble himself to come to this earth as a human, fully human and fully divine being, to walk and to teach and to love and ultimately to die so that we might have that freedom. We have the opportunity to celebrate this today as a family of faith. We don't do this alone, but we do this together because we're encouraged as we encourage one another, we are encouraged by God to go out and share this good news with those around us. This is the joyful feast of the people of God. People come from east and west, north and south to sit at the table with Jesus. He is the host of our table today. According to Luke, at the end of his gospel, Jesus sat with his disciples. And after he gave thanks and broke the bread, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He had been resurrected, made alive again after being dead. God is powerful to save through Jesus Christ. As we come to the table today, may we confess those things that have been on our hearts, that have been keeping us from Jesus. May we confess those times where we've doubted and where we've clung to the earthly things around us. May we confess those ways that we've not been our best um, behavior and the way that we've been prideful, clapping ourselves on the back for the victories we've won instead of giving them to Jesus, knowing that God is working through us. I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful for your word to us in scripture. It is the truth, and we stand on your word, knowing that it strengthens us and teaches us and edifies us. It reminds us that you love us and have loved us from the beginning of time and that you had a plan for our salvation through Jesus Christ. We are broken people, Lord, and we confess our brokenness to you. We pray that we would be able to honestly look ourselves in the mirror before we come to the table today, offering you the things that are keeping us from you. Give us your peace and remind us that we are free and forgiven through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When Jesus was on earth, he shared our joys and our sorrows. He preached and he taught, he healed, he befriended the lonely, the outcasts, the sinners. 
And in obedience to you, he went to the cross to die in our place, that each one of us might have the opportunity to be redeemed. We thank you that Jesus is not dead, for we know that he is risen and rules the world as King of kings and Lord of lords. Today, challenge us. As we come to this table, wash us clean and make us new so that we might go out from here nourished by this bread and cup as we set aside these elements, these common elements of bread and juice, they are symbols of Jesus' body and blood. We know that Jesus is physically present at your right hand, O Lord, but spiritually present here in this meal. Sustain us by your Holy Spirit so that we might be bonded to one another, joined to Jesus Christ the Lord, receiving new life and remaining as his faithful followers until we feast with him in his glorious, joy-filled kingdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and together we say the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.